Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Barry has just been discharged from the hospital after a recent attempted suicide, and he is your next patient on telehealth. Barry and his wife, Beth, are at the visit together, and Barry has consented for her participation. He's 52 and owns a small cafe that had to close during the pandemic last spring. Beth is concerned as apparently Barry has been visiting various clinics until his recent admission. Beth is wondering how this was missed. Did you, the PCP, have any idea that he might be thinking these things, and could it be prevented in the future? Both Barry and Beth say they're scared. Hi, this is Frank Domino. Joining me today is Dr. Jill Terrian, Associate Professor and Associate Dean of Interprofessional and Community Partnerships at the University of Massachusetts Medical School's Graduate School of Nursing. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Frank. Um, So it's been a long year and a half, almost two years now of the pandemic, and um, we've talked about lots of topics, but not suicide. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what's going on, how prevalent is suicide, and, and what impact the pandemic has had on it? Yes, Frank. Um, suicide, you know, is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States overall, and it's the second and fourth leading causes of death among persons ages 10 to 34 and 35 to 44, respectively. So just to put, you know, a number with this, what does that 10th you know, what does that mean, 10th leading cause of death? They tracked these 800,000 deaths over the last 20 years from 1999 to 2019. And what they noticed was that there was a 33% increase in the suicide rate over that period. In 2019, uh, 12 million adults reported serious thoughts of suicide during the past year. Three and a half million planned a suicide. And of those, 1.4 million actually attempted suicide. So what this did is, um, looking at this time period, it led to a lifetime combined medical and work loss cost. So looking at these costs that accrue from the time of injury through the course of a person's expected lifetime, and they could attribute $70 billion to the cost, which is huge. And what I want to say is you'll notice that these, this time period ended at 2019. It was pre-COVID. So what they've done, you'll see the study attached, one of the studies attached to this podcast is the Johns Hopkins article. And for anyone that wants to keep track of this, they update it on a regular basis. So what they did is they started to compare, what did the pandemic do to these numbers? And there actually is a little bit of, I would say, not that suicide is a happy topic, it's not, but that they compared time periods in 2019 to time periods in 2020, so essentially after the pandemic had been with us. So they looked, for example, at September 2019 data and compared it to September 2020, and actually it did not show an increase. Um, from that that time period, which is good news, but they are continuing to track it because they do see that there are increases 
in visits and in um, some of the other numbers that they tracked in that 20-year time period. So it's increasing. It seems to be stable. But, you know, there is room, we always know, for improvement in this area. So that that's actually somewhat reassuring because I thought for sure you were going to tell me that the suicide rate went up during the pandemic. Certainly mental health of healthcare workers seemed to worsen during that time. Um, Barry went saw many providers and yet none of us identified him as having suicidal thoughts. Um, can you tell us about any ways that suicidal thoughts and activities can be identified using our electronic medical record? Yes, so the study attached to this as well, uh, done at Vanderbilt, um, looked at a way to track uh, different uh, factors in a very large health system. So they took the electronic health record and they actually uh, made a model and then ran it, basically. So this was done through artificial intelligence. We're hearing a lot about AI. Um, it's computer-generated modeling. Uh, it, it can assist with diagnosis, decision-making, and predictions. And this study is an example of that. So what they did is they looked at, um, they had two outcomes. They were looking at suicidal ideation and suicide attempts within 30 days of discharge from this system. And it was machine-driven. Um, and it looked at how well do EHR-based suicide risk models perform in the clinical setting? And is it generalizable to you and me in our practices, right? And so um, it was observational, a prospective cohort, and it was all patients that were seen inpatient, in the emergency department, and ambulatory surgery surgery encounters throughout the whole system. And these were adult patients, I want to be clear about that. So they were able to use their the, this modeling to help identify those at risk. Yes, and what they they had various predictors that they had picked out. It was age, it was sex, race, many ICD codes, um, medication data, past healthcare utilization, and basically they counted all these things over the prior five years and put it together. Oh, and zip code and they put it together in this model. And these were, as I said, patients seen for any reason. Not, you know, they didn't, they weren't psychiatric visits only. They were seen for any reason. So I think one of the sobering facts is, is that you can actually see your patient on a day and not be able to uh, stop their attempt at suicide. There is, uh, that's a very sobering fact that we know um, when patients suffer from mental illness. So I think any type of identification you could get ahead of time to say, I think I need to reach out to this patient um, or I need to screen this patient for sure today because we can't screen everybody. That's just not an effective use of our time, especially if we don't think anything is wrong. Um, but if we had a machine so to speak, that could help us, that could possibly and hopefully improve, you know, our suicide, um, our suicides and get people help earlier. So, okay. So now we've, uh, this, this modeling tool using artificial intelligence was able to identify patients who are at high risk, um, based upon a variety of factors. Um, two thoughts. What do we do 
if our system starts running this on our patient population, what do we do with the information if they say, hey, these few patients of yours um, meet, the, meet our criteria? What do we do for them, and what are we going to do for Barry and Beth today? Overall, this is not ready for prime time, but that is, you know, the hope for the future, right? That we are going through all of this effort with these electronic health records, and if we could benefit the patients in a way to identify their risk and, and intervene, that would, be, that would be wonderful. I think that if you work in a large healthcare system, this could be coming to you in the next, you know, few years, next five years. The people that did this study are continuing on to make it, uh, you know, to look at it in a more defined way and, and test it out in practices. So what we need to do for uh, Beth and Barry today is address, number one, the, the question that they asked, you know, Beth asked, is, you know, Barry was seeing, you know, why didn't the system pick this up? But we don't know, was it in this system or not? But we didn't pick it up. But what are we going to do from here? Well, first of all, it's good. They're here at a visit together, and we're going to see how is Barry doing, right? What's, what's happened since he's been discharged? You know, is he on medication management? Is he in counseling? What's his current lifestyle like? And, you know, is, is he have any thoughts of suicide? And is there anything that we have to do immediately? So, um, you know, things that contribute to how he feels, you know, hearing from the patient, where are you at? And, you know, what has helped you is important. So any thoughts of harming himself? Um, is he sleeping well? Too much? Too little? Um, motivation? What is his daily life like? Um, we know that we've had restrictions eased up. What's his plan? Um, it is totally disheartening to see the businesses that have closed in this time period. And um, unfortunately, restaurants were one of the hardest hit. Um, and so, and what's his affect today? And does he have any protective factors? And when I talk about that, um, you know, the pandemic impacted, number one for them, economic stress. It closed, it closed his business. So where are they at financially? Social isolation. We know that we had things shut down and, you know, we were keeping to ourselves. Did they participate in anything like, you know, Zoom video chats with their family and friends? Did they try and do that? Do they need help with that? P participation in religious community. Is, are they, you know, active in that? Because those did get shut down during the pandemic. And then the continuous media coverage. I think that all of us had to step away from, you know, media during this time period because it just can be too much. And then does Barry have any barriers to mental health treatment that we can help with and be a part of to, for his um, improvement? And then overall, the, I think open communication and contracting with the patient, and he's brought his wife today, you know, how are they interacting? Is, is it supportive? I think is all really important to assess. And, you know, he, as you know, in the case, we talked about telehealth. That has been increased exponentially over this time period. Is that something that is helpful, or would Barry rather come in? And can we accommodate that? I think that that's really important. Telehealth, it, it might be preferable. It might decrease their drive, and it might work just fine for them. Uh, but do they want to come in to a face-to-face -face visit? Is that more desired?
And then I just want to say that, you know, to answer Beth's question, not all systems are connected in that way. And then the fear, they're afraid. So I think reassuring them and, you know, contracting them and that you're going to work with them in an open communication is important. I think you're right. I think that's where we are right now is that um, there are going to be interesting ways to identify all sorts of conditions going forward. And suicide has a very high concern for lethality, you know, for, for mortality. So um, I think you bring up all the important points we need to address with our patients who are at risk. And hopefully this technology will be uh, uh, helpful and beneficial. Now all we need is further assistance once, once things are identified. Oh, I want to say, Frank, probably, you know, so you say, what's the overall gestalt of this, of this, you know, episode and this, and this paper and its use? And really, if patients are identified through an AI process, and that could prompt further screening and intervention when under normal visits, they would not have been, the patient would not have been screened for suicide risk. That's where the benefit's going to be. It's identifying those that we don't, that, that we don't see, um, you know, normally. Well, thank you, Jill. Really interesting, and this is our future. Thank you, Frank. Practice Pointer. Identifying risk factors in our patients to prevent suicide through artificial intelligence is on the horizon. When you get a positive hit, bring those patients in and provide close follow-up. Join us next time when we talk about the role of MRI testing in patients with elevated PSA levels. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcast, and see you next week.